Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, I make light of the fact that aeronautical safety protocols that are designed around killing the messenger only result in one thing. You'll have to check the show notes for a visual aid. And then Brett does the almost impossible task of discussing what at first glance appears to be a simple Sudoku knockoff iPhone game, but on closer inspection reveals itself to be an elegant, masterful creation of mobile gaming goodness. This is not Candy Crush, thank God. We're talking about threes, exclamation point. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Yeah. How's your positive energy doing? <laughs> I'm full of good juju. I am vibrating on a higher frequency than usual. Wow. You're like yeah. an energy crystal. Yeah. I I am the I am the vessel of energy tonight. Can you hear that squeaking? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> That's Mando playing with a toy. He oh, has a adorable. lot of energy as well. So uh, uh oh he might be leaving now. Goodbye. Josh, we're oh. sending him to puppy school. That's good. I don't think anyone will really mind his adorable squeaking in the background. So what's the deal? Is he like just a, the worst dog ever and you got to send him off to boarding school? Just just 1% of the time. The other 99% of the time he's he's awesome, but we we just don't seem to be making progress. He he basically ran away the other day. Uh, I mean, he was with me. He was off leash. He was the perfect dog following commands, staying with me. And then he decided to run down the hill and, uh, you know, couple uh couple seconds later i'm running down this highway basically it's a highway where cars come around this corner at 50 miles an hour and i'm in my flip-flops which you know are great shoes to be sprinting in and um they call them know. sand alls for a reason sand all <laughs> that's all they're good for is sand <laughs> well they definitely weren't the right footwear to be sprinting down the highway and or doing praying. anything other than lounging at the beach <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many action sports I've participated in in my sandals. But I am a big enough man to admit that you and all the other friends of mine that made fun of me for wearing flip-flops doing action sports, you all were right. And I'm a, I'm big enough to admit that now. It's called healing through humiliation. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's uh, humility, <laughs> but I guess humiliation works too. Yeah. It's my old so friend. what happened? So you chased him. I'm uh, assuming nothing. the first thing you did is you ditched your your shoes because it's faster to run <laughs> in bare feet, and then you what chased him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I caught up to him, and uh, but I mean, I think we just got lucky that you know a car didn't come whizzing around the corner, and it was really scary. And um, you know, it's just some days are great, and some days are really tough. So, but we had uh, met this dog that had come to an event um, actually the grand opening that fashion show i told you about here at camp v and uh, this dog was just super well behaved and i guess they used an off-leash you know intensive training program um and we just signed him up today so bye mando that's pretty cool i mean if you think having a dog is hard then you sir should try having two children i'll think i'm gonna pass (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll take a hard. I'll I'll stick to my sandals and pass on the children. Yeah, yeah. That's so a, how you that's doing? That's a lounging shoe. <laughs> um, I'm doing good, man. Actually, I haven't really had a whole lot going on here. It's been 
oddly raining for like several days straight, which it never does down here. And um been just kind of using that time to hang out in sandals inside. That sounds uh very beach like, very vacationy. Just you and to- the two kids. Total vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, let's see. What were we talking about before we started recording? Some skydiving, uh, some Dave Chappelle. Should we just yeah, get yeah. right into the off top? Well, or you want to chit chat some more? <laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about Dave Chappelle. I mean, didn't you say that Dave Chappelle is coming back to Netflix? I think. Well, I think the Chappelle Show specifically, yeah. but they kind of they struck a deal of some sorts. I don't know too much about this. I was my point was before we uh, started recording was that it's just really cool when one of these companies. I feel like Disney does this. I could be wrong, but judging by all the great content and all the great, um, you know, the team members, the, the, uh, creative talent that they pull in, I feel like they strike this symbiotic relationship, which instead of screwing up, screwing over the entertainers, they like reward them handsomely and end up making a lot of returns on their investment. As well, a, I as heard that, to uh, just trying to nickel and dime the, the talent. Well, Dave Chappelle at one point was asking people to not watch the Chappelle show on Netflix because they weren't paying him or something. And then, I mean, I thought that was really cool. We've talked about it before that I am totally of the mindset of buying you know, songs and movies. Well, maybe not movies. Screw those guys. But what? things that like <laughs> an individual creator is making. And... uh you know, I thought that was really interesting that he was asking people to not watch it. And then if it's coming back, then I'm assuming that he worked out whatever the problems were with Netflix. Because I guess they weren't paying him or paying him properly before. Yeah, so, and I, I don't think it was... Was it Netflix originally? I guess we should... I, I'll have to look into this more. But no, I think you and I, we do not uh, download or torrent or do any of that stuff. We have always been people that just buy our content um, out of respect for the creators Movies too. Yeah, because okay. one thing Hollywood needs it's more money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you wouldn't you wouldn't download a car, would you? <laughs> oh no! Sound like a ni- late nineties FBI warning. <laughs> yeah. You better not download this movie. Well, you want to off top this thing? Let's do it. Take it off. All right. Well, take this top <laughs> off. All right. It's audio medium, so I'll just have to explain what my rippling abs look like. Actually, I've been getting in pretty good dad bod shape. I've been getting on this TRX workout for my PT. Oh, nice. Dude, I'm getting a little bit ripped up like I was when I used to work at the wind tunnel. Nice. That's a side note, though. That's just to make the uh, taking of the top off a little bit more glorious for everyone listening. Exactly. I'm so excited. So I've been watching for for all mankind. So once again, I'm kind of on a space kick. And you saw a couple episodes of that show, right? I saw one episode uh, recently on a flight because American Airlines offers Apple TV Plus, um, you know, on their free Wi-Fi entertainment. That's a good one. That is a good one. They got me. They got that me is good. the kind of show that sells streaming services. Yes, but yep. if you're not in the know, for all mankind, it's an alternate timeline that posits that the Russians landed on the moon before. America. And I think that it, it it takes like this really granular approach, like step by step all the way from like the early sixties, way out into like the late eighties or like the nineties. And it, 
it shows you step by step like what could have happened if that you know if that's the way the timeline had worked out and i think it it makes a very strong argument for why not necessarily that i believe in this but why we may have faked the first moon landing oh my gosh it would have made a lot of sense i mean i really do think this is not my off tops about here we go this is just an off top here we go q on the flat earth yep but i mean it really i i i'm positive we landed on the moon but it would make sense if we thought we were going to get beat to fake the first one but anyways that's not what i'm talking about do you do you think they had like a some backup footage maybe i don't know i'm I'm just saying, if you watch For All Mankind, you'd be like, yep, if that was going to happen, we would have faked that first one. Huh. We would not have let the Russians beat us. Yeah. But, you know, no one ever beats us. We're America. So everyone knows the story of Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space. So in 1957, the USSR put the first man-made object in space with Sputnik, and then in 1961, the first man in space with Yuri Gagarin. But in 1967, they beat the USA once again with a first, although it was a dubious achievement. And you know the Russians, they are dubious. They are dubious. Yes, they are. <laughs> so they uh, they had the first space flight-related fatality. Do you know this story? I, I don't think that I do. I'm wrecking it's my brain. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's not ringing a bell. So by this time, 1967, uh, both nations had put men in space. They'd orbited the planet. They docked two spaceships together. Uh, on January 27, 1967, both nations signed the Outer Space Treaty, which restricted space travel for peaceful purposes. That was also the day that Gus Grisham, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee died in the Apollo 1 capsule. So they yeah. had the, uh, the pure oxygen atmosphere in the capsule, and it ignited on the launch pad. So bad. So that it kind of basically introduced... burned to death and and that's yeah. kind of the the spin in for all mankind is that like nasa stopped taking risks after the death of those astronauts exactly, which i thought yeah. was a really interesting take because that you know they were already drawing like real world perspectives in there yeah, but anyway sorry you can great show continue. but that kind of introduced the general public to the idea of tragedy and spaceflight and it also forced these policy changes like they changed the atmosphere mixture they redesigned the capsule hatch which which at that point had opened inward, so it made yeah. it impossible for the astronauts to escape. So while this was happening, the Soviet leader, Leonid Brezhnev, was preparing this rushed mission to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, which is where that was when the, uh, the, the Communist Party overthrew the czarist system and brought along the sweet, sweet Soviet Union. But uh, So the Soviets were planning to launch two ships, the Soyuz-1 and the Soyuz-2, and then had them rendezvous and exchange cosmonauts via EVA. And from the start, this mission was plagued with problems. One of the most glaring was their capsule hatch was too small to accommodate suited-up cosmonauts, so it was never really even going to work from the beginning. But they found this list of 203 issues, but no one wanted to inform Brezhnev because the USSR had a habit of literally killing the messenger. So suggesting that the mission wasn't ready was read as essentially saying the USSR is inferior. It's crazy to me that anything ever got done in a system like that. Like being afraid to report problems just creates cascades of issues because the issues are never tackled at their source. That's like how they were operating. Sure. I mean, this is the whole philosophy behind the safety reporting system in aviation is based on um, there not being... um, 
any kind of you know punishment basically if you make an error and you self-report that error that mistake and you know mistakes are made all the time in pretty much any human endeavor unless you're but a shit-hot pilot <laughs> <laughs> all right top gun settle down maverick put your shirt back on seriously josh but put your shirt back on so i thought you, you know it. but but I, but but the idea being that's that self-reporting system um i, I don't want to use the term get out of jail free card it it protects the pilot that reports as long as it's not considered um, intentional. Like there's there's like uh, several things that disqualify the, those protections. But to date, as long as you meet the criteria, no, no enforcement action has ever been taken against a pilot since the NASA ASRS or since um, company ASAP programs have been out there, which is an aviation safety um, reporting or action program. So, I mean, it really does work. And it's, and I, another thing I want to bring up real quick out of Sapiens, uh, there's a, I think it was in that book or it might've been at the end of Homo Deus, but there's an interesting point about the difference between the Soviet Union and the United States, um, just in, in the capitalist markets and in basically capitalism was decentralizing the determination of of prices for goods. So there's this story that I I don't know if it was true or not. I think it might have been somewhat exaggerated, but somebody came from, and it, it might have been post Soviet Russia, but it was still a communist country at this point. And somebody came over and was getting a tour of um, the London. I think it was in London actually, but you know, walking around and seeing that there's no lines for bread. And it just made the comment like, I don't understand. We, you know, we have all these like lines for bread and we, you know, determine these price points. Like where, who is the, uh, who is, who in London determines the price of bread? And they're like, well, the market does. It's, it's supply and demand economics. And that way, you know, you're not determining, one person isn't in charge of determining how much bread you make and what prices it should be set at. And it just kind of like blew this person's mind that, you know, the natural order of, of this marketplace being decentralized means that prices are determined really quickly. There's never really a surplus or like a huge deficit. Um, so that was a really interesting take on it is that capitalism is like a decentralized um, system as opposed to something like communism. You have one central hub that's trying to control lots of different things that they they have you know not very much information on how to determine those things. That is not a good system. He's like, and everyone has blue jeans. What's right. that program? ASAP. Yeah, ASAP. Um, that is the aviation program. The the uh, airlines use ASAP, but it's also kind of coexists with the ASRS program, which is actually a NASA program, but it's used for aviation. So if well, you think, work for, uh, for a company that has an ASAP program, and you make a mistake, you file an ASAP, uh, uh, you file an ASAP uh, report, and then you can also make that ASAP just automatically file an ASRS with NASA. And I've I've done several of these, and actually, the only time I've ever been contacted was um, many years ago. I had a because uh, literally, like, I would just never hear anything from these from these things it's just like okay like I, I i contributed to the aviation safety system but this one time i got a call a couple weeks later and it was 
a uh, thrust reverser deployment and flight. It was not a mistake that we made. It was, you know, just a mechanical, um, a mechanical situation that just occurred randomly in flight. But I guess it was uncommon enough. It was rare enough and a serious enough situation that somebody from NASA actually called me. And when I started, you know, he just wanted to get a little more information about the event. And uh, so I, I talked to him a little bit about it. And then I, I mentioned like, hey, do you want my captain's uh, telephone number? I, and he stopped. He said, no, no, no. Everything's anonymous. You can't give me his name. You can't give me his number. If he filed an ASRS report as well, I'm sure we'll reach out to him. But, you you know, they block out any names, any numbers, any any identifiable information. So it's a really it's a really amazing program. It's really progressive and wow. and forward thinking. I think uh, Russia had their own ASAP program, but it was as shitty as possible, <laughs> as you will soon hear. I I can't wait. <laughs> so Vladimir Komarov, he was the pilot. He was going to be the pilot of so of Soyuz One, and he was good friends with Yuri Gagarin. And Yuri Gagarin apparently didn't want his friend to go up on this mission because he was familiar with all the problems on Soyuz 1. He even volunteered to take Komarov's place, but he was shot down because people said that it would be it might be bad if uh, Yuri Gagarin were to die and they lost a national hero. So this was kind of like a ill-fated journey right from the beginning. But then on uh, so on April 23rd, 1967, Soyuz 1 launched with Yuri Gagarin on the ground making this big spectacle in an attempt to halt the launch. And right after takeoff, they started developing problems. So solar panels didn't deploy, so the ship was low on power. The thermal control system started failing. They lost communications with ground control. They lost their stability thrusters. So the ship was just tumbling in orbit. And with all this, like ground control immediately canceled the launch of Soyuz 2. So those guys got to live. But in space... Komarov, he just continued his uncontrolled orbit. He orbited 19 times with various U.S.-controlled listening stations on Earth picking up his distress calls. And he was eventually able to fire his retro rockets for re-entry, but he came in at the wrong entry angle. So he's, like, burning up in the atmosphere. His parachute deployment failed. He got, like, an entanglement. And at 7 a.m. on April 24th, 1967, his capsule hit the ground near Orenburg in the USSR at 140 miles per hour. They said he hit with the energy of a two-ton meteorite hitting the ground. And they said on the radio, he was screaming in fear and anger the entire time. That is so, oh my so horrifying. So he was so, alive still when he yeah, hit the Yeah, all the way into impact. Oh my so gosh. Nothing was left but this like twisted hunk of metal, some of his charred remains, and they found this small chip of his heel bone that was oh. identifiable as Komarov piece of human. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. It's It was a, it was a rough one. So Gagarin was profoundly disturbed by this f- frightening oversight by leadership, and he said this in a risky interview with the newspaper Pravda, where he criticized the mission, which was something you just did not do in the USSR. And then a year later, uh, Yuri Gagarin died in a MiG-21 while doing a routine flight. And I thought that sounded very suspicious, so I read up on it. And they said there were theories that his plane was tampered with, but it was later found out that another plane, an Su-15, flew pretty much right in front of him. Speaking of Top Gun, like we were saying earlier... 
basically like prop washed him like what happens to Maverick and it flipped his plane, you know, like when Goose dies, this is the, the Goose dying incident, but he got prop washed, his plane flipped and he ended up dying in this crash. So whether that was intentional or benign neglect, it again highlights the lack of safety protocols and the shirking of responsibility that was, play, was plaguing the Soviet space program at this time, their ASAP program, if you will. So as a little bit of a final fuck you to the Soviet Union, <laughs> Komarov had requested an open casket funeral if anything were to happen to him. It was as a way to highlight the total disregard for their safety. And bizarrely, they granted this request. So this picture, which I will share in the show notes, is sadly comical how disturbing it is. So there are these dudes, these like Russian military dudes in their full regalia, and they're standing at attention honoring this charred hunk of melted cosmonaut. It is the it's the the perfect snapshot of the Soviet space program. So we'll share that in the show notes. If you guys don't usually oh check the show notes. Oh my gosh, I just looked it up. <laughs> definitely check that picture if for nothing else. It's very good. So as Vladimir amazing as space Komarov's is, Komarov's remains in an open casket. It's brutal. Oh, good lord! Mando? Mando says hi. He says hello. So as amazing as space flight is, too. He loved that. He loved that cosmonaut story. Yeah. Wow. I I think that it is like we we look at like the space program now with all the like Dragon X capsules and everything's like shiny white. Looks like a Tesla on the inside. Just like it looks like what yeah. you think space flight should be. But when you think back to what these guys were doing, they're using like toggle switches and light emitting <laughs> diodes and big old gigantic cathode like ray dials <laughs> yeah it's crazy that like when you think of space age technology i think that our friend derek may have made this joke but you think of space age technology like oh that sounds like it's from the future but it's all like the just the old schoolist crap you can get you can get your hands <laughs> on these days you like, probably can't even find any space age technology anywhere <laughs> it's it's just that like what our what the driving booth used to look like at the tunnel, like big giant right. light bulbs, stuff you could put together <laughs> with like a with like a a wrench, you know, like that's as small as space age tech got. Well, I know that Derek would appreciate me saying right now that back then was the most technologically advanced <laughs> time in history. Yes, it was. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you think the Egyptians uh. were up to. Oh, here we go again. Flat Earth <laughs> QAnon. Here we go. Flat Earth QAnon, Egyptians, and Game Stonks. Well, that is very interesting, Josh. I um, that is disturbing. I'm looking at the picture again, and uh, I'm gonna just I'm gonna close that box on my computer. That's I don't like. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's like an ultimate practical joke. Uh, yeah, but it it cost him his life. But I I do see. Uh, I mean, the amazing thing is they did honor the request. It's like a power move on both sides, really. Yeah, it really is. Like, he's... Komarov was saying, you know, screw you to the USSR, but the USSR was like, you know, here here you go. You don't like, matter. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I can't wait yeah, to... Go back to work so I can watch more episodes of For All Mankind because I don't. I'm not gonna. I don't have the money to get a, another subscription service. It's it's gonna take you about thirty commutes. All right, 
<laughs> to finish the show. So what's uh, on your content a, circuit besides all this commuting? Uh, let's see. Besides For All Mankind, I've been watching Money Heist. Um, really enjoying that. Um, I have been uh, participating in some content that I'm going to be talking about later. Um, but n- really not much beyond that, unfortunately. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. weeks are like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all those shitty weeks. <laughs> How about you? I hope you got something better. I do have some things. Actually, have you seen... I'm going to share a link of this in the show notes also. This is not quite content, but it's still pretty amazing. Have you seen the new Disney lightsaber? The Disney lightsaber? Like a toy? Yeah, it's something that's apparently being released at the parks. Uh, I'll I'll share this link, but it is a fully retractable lightsaber blade that goes into into the hilt. And when you look at it, it looks like magic. But I, I looked at a when they deploy it, it looks just like a lightsaber deploying. And I looked at a breakdown of what the patents were, and essentially what it is, you know how a um, whoa, you know how a um, I just like a tape up. measure works. This you know, looks like a, amazing. Yeah, it like rolls up. Yeah. So how they how they think this thing works is instead of the tape measure being like I don't know a fifteen degree arc. It's two tape measure style things that are 180 degrees a piece. Uh, uh-huh. So they roll down into the handle and inside of it, there's, there's a cap. And then it, as it deploys, it pulls out a string of LEDs on the inside. So the entire blade, it's not like combat ready. You couldn't like hit anything with it because it's basically like tape measure material. But the entire thing rolls down into the hilt. It looks amazing. And I'll share wow. that in the show notes. But that the is content, very cool. That is very, very cool. I've been reading um, Ready Player Two, and man, oh, yeah, yeah, I am really into it. I think that it, I mean, it's hard to say if it's as good as the first one, but it's definitely as good as anything that makes me want to keep reading it. That's great. It's, I'm so and happy I found to hear this that. Quote. So there's this quote in the book, and I think that this is like the like the life pilot philosophy. This is like one of the best definitions of the life pilot philosophy that I've ever heard. Kind of like how I, I I don't know if I was really thinking about life in this way, but now that I've read this, this is the only way I can think about it. And it's such a good breakdown on really, I feel like the meaning of life and how you should be living it. But uh, I don't know, maybe you remember this. It's a quote from, it's near the beginning of the book and it said, my friend Kira always said that life is like an extremely difficult, horribly unbalanced video game. When you're born, you're given a randomly generated character with a randomly determined name, face, race, and social class. Your body is your avatar, and you spawn in a random geographic location at a random moment in human history surrounded by a random group of people, and then you have to try to survive as long as you can. Sometimes the game might seem easy, even fun. Other times it might be so difficult you want to give up and quit. But unfortunately, in this game, you only get one life. When when your body grows too old or thirsty or hungry or injured, your health meter runs out and it's game over. Some people play the game for 100 years without ever figuring out that it is a game or that there is a way to win it. To win the video game of life, you just have to try to make the experience of being forced to play it as pleasant as possible for yourself and for all the people you encounter in your travels. Kira says that if everyone played the game to win, it'd be a lot more fun for everyone. Huh, I like that. Yeah, it's you know, amazing. You know, that actually, uh, I like the metaphor that life is a video game because I actually am starting to think that we live in a simulation. 
I saw it on my QAnon Flat Earther Facebook group. Game Stonks Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> we have to live in a simulation. I mean, there's real lightsabers now, for God's sake. Yeah. I just well, like cool. that because... Yeah, I like that. That's, It's kind of like, like Avatar. It's like this vantage point. It gives you another way to think about the world. And... I think this the uh, Ready Player Two is kind of dark. It's way darker than the first one, and this quote I think is meant to be dark, but I kind of see that as kind of like triumphant. You know, yeah. it's a it's a really cool way to think about the world. Like you think about it like a game, but it's a game you want to win, and the the way you win it, the meaning of life is to live as long as possible and to make it as enjoyable as possible for you and everyone else. Yeah. That's such that's a great a, life philosophy. Definitely. If more people played the game of life that way, this would be a better world. Indeed. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm really glad that you uh, did not take my suggestion. As we all know, contentologists are uh, not perfect, and that's why we have you were gonna the, say infallible. the KSAP program, the Contentologist <laughs> Safety Reporting System. We... <laughs> Anytime we make a mistake, we report it to the governing body of contentologists and Which try to is improve. you and I. <laughs> That's it. Yep. So you email me that you were wrong, and I'll file it in your report. Okay. I'll, your have, I'll, have, to re- report. I'll have to reread it, because I honestly do not remember. I, I'm not even sure that I've read Ready Player Two, to be you honest. You should. It's really okay. good. Okay. All right. All right well, All right. Uh, let's yeah. take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll get into this fabled content. content? Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, you've been telling me for the last few days that you're really excited about this one. I'm really excited about this one. Let's hear it. Well, I was thinking about what you said on last week's episode, Josh, and just how video games are a totally underrepresented content medium all up in our clearinghouse. This <laughs> <laughs> so going to be a Candy Crush episode. Oh, wow. You're uh, hitting a little too close to home here. This is, you're pretty close. Well, <laughs> all right. well I, I have to confess, this, uh, the fact that we don't discuss video games more is mostly my fault. Uh you know, ever since Bree and I, we just just, just kind of left the normal life and and uh, said screw the social norms and the expectations, and we became the dirty nomadic vagrants that we are, uh, year-round burning men. <laughs> I mean, our our lifestyle really only allows for a few carefully selected assortments of material items. You need so, a Nintendo Switch. You know, I did have a Nintendo 3DS for a while, and even that didn't make the cut. It is in wow. storage at my at my in-laws' house, which really it, it's because it's, like it's the not size a, of a pack of cards. <laughs> 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 We're on a very tight uh, space budget, so things you got an like entire empty window right behind you. Just stack it with there's actually, Switch look, games. There's actually things behind the. Uh, if you were in here, I could show you. It's hard to show you on Zoom, but I things like you. things like extra clothes or soap or privacy. I mean, these have become <laughs> luxuries that we just don't have room for. Privacy is more uh, of a concept, really. <laughs> you know, um, I did decide 
that uh, even a single video game console was just too much. So seven years later, we're we're still on, uh, you know, we're still on just squeezing one bar of soap into our. <laughs> Hold on, I got I have like totally messed up my flow here. I'm gonna have to edit this out. Hold All on. right, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I had a joke about some soap in here, and I was like, I, I skipped it, and uh, now the punchline doesn't make sense. All right, actually, I, I'm mostly kidding. We actually live very well in our 25-foot newish model Airstream, and we, we do have a couple bells and whistles. We've got a bathroom. We've got a shower. We've got a kitchen, a queen-size bed, plenty of storage. And uh, as far as some lifestyle luxuries go. We even have a sparkling water maker. We have this incredible coffee maker set up. It has a burr grinder, which I am told is the best because it grinds the whole beans in a, in a more specialized way. Um, I, you know, I have a one wheel for God's sakes. So we're I think I, weighs like 25 pounds. <laughs> it does. So we're basically like you're a standard millennial couple that just got put in a vacuum sealed bag to, get condensed down and save space in a proverbial closet. Um, but the part that I wasn't kidding about, I mean, the, the video game console truly didn't make the cut. And I was reflecting recently on how this has affected my life. So besides not being able to escape the crushing existential pain of life by running over pedestrians on GTA 4, the only way that I really think it's had an impact on me is in uh, being totally and utterly humiliated by robbing me the title of gamer, which really should be one of the foundational lifestyle pillars of, of a contentologist. And but, you're, I imagine, always bored. <laughs> well, fortunately, Josh, my shame and self-disgust <laughs> melted away when I realized the solution to this problem was staring at me right in my stupid face all along and literally all this time because I cannot stop playing this addictive, elegant, and frankly, beautiful in its simplicity game, Threes. Ooh. Ooh. We used to play a lot of Threes back in the I day. I still do play a lot I of Threes. I think your wife may have been the <laughs> ultimate master of Threes. I actually uh, surpassed her high score, oh, and, and it was a while ago. She, I think she lost interest because um, she doesn't have the same obsessive tendencies as I do, but I'm sure I can talk her back into uh, this threes addiction. I'm yes, really interested in this because yeah. threes, at just a glance, is an extremely simple game, so I'm really <laughs> interested in to, see, to see where you're going to go with this. I... I'm I'm interested to see where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> Just winging it tonight, huh? Well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. So I was thinking, you know, what do people think of um, when they think of iPhone games? You already mentioned Candy Crush, and that's interesting. So, I, um, what 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 other ones do you have on your list when you think of like I don't know Android or iPhone games, mobile games, whatever you want to call them? Well, I've got uh, I've got too many gaming systems. So I don't really play games <laughs> yeah. on my iPhone, but something that you and I used to play a lot was Hero Academy. Oh, I and forgot that, about Hero Academy. Which that is like kind of like a battle chess game. Oh, but that, that was a game, great game. That, I think that might have been one of my favorite iPhone games ever, but I only have a few games on my phone right now, and Threes is one of them. And wait, Oh, Threes is one of them. Yeah, nice. Threes is one. I think I have th maybe three games. I don't even know what the other two are, but I know Threes is still on there. I, I couldn't bring myself to delete it. 
I'm happy that I to hear I won't have to report myself to the uh, contentology safety reporting program for a second. I've already time got a list episode. of infractions here, so we can just. <laughs> You've got enough things that you have to deal with this week. Well, good call with Hero Academy. Um, the ones that I thought of were Clash of Clans, Pokemon Go, and Plague Inc. And I did also put Candy Crush on my list. Now, I have played all of these iPhone games pretty extensively, except for Candy Crush. Um, I'm just familiar with Candy Crush because it's so, you know, it's mainstream appeal. And I also get these occasional Apple charges that show up uh, on Ugh. my shared family account with Apple because uh, my mother-in-law uses that as well. And I'm not judging. I have spent a few bucks here and there on mobile games. But uh, something about Candy Crush or Clash of Clans that really turns me off to those games those types of games are very good at utilizing tried and true psychological techniques. Oh yeah. These, those games these... are those games are designed to trick you. That's yeah, like Absolutely. They, they, they use Farmville the free to play model. Is the same. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean these these are techniques that are implemented every single day at casinos to manipulate people and hook people in. One of the things right off the bat that I really like about threes is like there's no gems to buy or there's no intermittent rewards or gambling or upgrading aspects or whatever. It's, it's, it's a super simple time killer that is surprisingly incredibly fun. In fact, the motto or the subtitle for the game is a tiny puzzle that grows on you. And literally, numbers growing is the game. So I'm going to try to explain the premise. I know you know this. But we'll see how this goes. Just skip it. I know how it works, Brett. <laughs> All right, <laughs> listeners, good luck. Um, no, so the app is a four by four grid with a smattering of numbered tiles on it. When you start a new game, there's maybe a couple of ones, which are blue, a few twos, which are red, and a couple of threes. Now, these tiles that you get at the start of the new game, they're random. Um, my independent testing has indicated you always start with nine of these numbered tiles don't think it really matters that much but you see um a preview of the next tile that will appear and that is an important aspect of the strategy so whether it's a a blue one a red two or a white numbered tile and once you start getting into those bigger numbers you might get an option between a six or a 12 as being the next tile or maybe a 48 or a 96 so you get this board you get some numbered tiles and now you have a choice you can swipe up or down or left or right. That is it. Those are your only options. If numbers are up against an edge, they won't move when you swipe. Or if two ones are next to each other in one horizontal row or vertical row and they're up against the left edge or the upper edge, like say they're up against the left edge and you swipe left, two ones, uh, they also won't move. They have nowhere to go. It's kind of like one of those little slide puzzles from when you were yeah, a kid. Sure. So... Uh, but number tiles next to an empty space, they'll slide into that space. Or the the big draw of the game, or the big the the, the hook, if you will, a two and a one next to each other will be added up. They'll be squished into each other. Now they'll make a new tile, a three. Or if two threes are next to each other and one of them is against an edge, or and you slide your finger in that direction where they have nowhere to go, the two threes combine to make a six. Or two sixes, they make a twelve. Two twelves, they make a twenty-four, and so on. So you play until you no longer have any room on the board, meaning you can't slide anything anywhere. You don't have an adjacent one or two to smush together. You don't have any doubles to combine. 
And that's game over. Or actually, in this game, it's it's not game over. It's out of moves. And then you'll receive your final score based on the rarity of the tiles rather than the tile number of values. And Which the, you then take a screenshot and send it to all your friends <laughs> to brag. That's we how did this works. a lot. Yes. We did this a lot. The object, of course, is to earn a high score. And honestly, I mean, it's it's easier if you just see the gameplay than having me trying to explain it. Um, and this There's is a whole a YouTube channel. It's just hours <laughs> of some guy playing threes. <laughs> is it really? No. Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something on Twitch for this. So you you might think I'm a little bit crazy bringing an iPhone game to the content clearinghouse. But no, dude, that is a pro <laughs> contentologist move. Like, seriously, that would not I, have worked 50 episodes ago. I, I'm, I'm happy that uh, you agree with me because this might be my most brilliant move uh, <laughs> on the content clearinghouse. So not only did this game receive the Apple Design Award in 2014, it also received an honorable mention for the IGF 2014 Excellence in Design Awards. Oh, and at the end of 2014, it won Apple's Game of the Year. It's pretty it high praise. It also won <laughs> the Apple ASAP Award as sweet <laughs> as possible. Tim Apple gives it two thumbs up. Tim Apple. <laughs> Remember that <laughs> on Apple's Threes channel on Twitch. <laughs> so Threes received what video game review score aggregator Metacritic described as quote universal acclaim. Reviewers found the game charming and addictive, and Touch Arcade awarded the game perfect scores, saying Threes is quote about as close as it gets to a perfect mobile game. Other developers released similar games and clones within weeks of the game's launch, but Threes is and will always be the best of these and the original. So uh, before I get into the history of it, which is fascinating, uh, I'm going to further continue to defend my stance, even though you've made it clear I don't have to <laughs> defend myself. All right, this seems a... Uh... But it a makes suspicious the, now, but all right. It makes for the best narrative, I guess. I really thought <laughs> I was... what it's all about. I really thought I was going out on a limb here picking an iPhone game, but you, you seem to be accepting this quite well. Hey, good, good content is good content, <laughs> as said by Tim Apple's Twitch channel. <laughs> and so to, to further defend my stance, being that this is one of the best con- pieces of content that I have personally ever come in contact with, I'm going to tell you... Actions speak louder than words. And so I knew that my actions would really speak loudly because I have played this game for such a damn long time. Is there a timer that tells you like how much well, time you spent on it? Um there is a couple of uh there's a couple of data points <laughs> that I <laughs> right. was able to track down. This did take a little detective work um, because I remembered Mike Silva telling me about the game. He was he was the one that introduced the Kruba to threes. So I knew that I was working at the wind tunnel at this time, but I was pretty sure that this was when uh, this was after Sky Venture became iFly. So that that means I was working very part time at that time, and I was flying charter jets. I remember this, that. This is right around the time you showed up with your truck, and you were like, "Hey." I'm moving into an Airstream. Exactly. I knew that I wasn't... I, I don't know if we'd bought the Airstream yet. I don't think we had. 
I, we had not started living on the road yet. Well, you showed up with a big truckload of books, and you're like, hey, you want some of these? <laughs> I'm paring everything down, and apparently getting rid of all my video game systems, yeah, this, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, you, you definitely have the right time frame. So, also, it's easy to find when the game was released. It was released February 6th, 2014. So then I took this information and then I spent way too long the other day scrolling through my iTunes account purchase history month by month. And Josh, I found the answer. I downloaded threes for $199 or $206 with tax on March 3rd, 2014. I I have played this game off and on for 2,625 days. Sure, I, I haven't played this game every day or anything like that. I'm sure there's been a few months here or there, even a few years where I didn't play threes. But consider I have had this game for over seven years and it does Jeez. not require cell service to be connected to the internet to be played. So I I am truly unable to calculate or comprehend uh, an exact amount of time I've played this game. But considering I can remember playing this game in the back of airplanes or in the cockpit of airplanes on long international flights or on road trips when I wasn't driving or killing time when I couldn't sleep, waiting in doctor's offices, the occasional or uh, not so occasional bowel movement. And of course, in between teaching people how to fly their body in the free fall environment in the back of the Colorado tunnel with Mike Silva, going back to 2014, this is a game that has survived the Brett test of time. And you downloaded it on 3-3-2014. So there's some threes Whoa. in there. Seems like seems like a conspiracy, Brett. QAnon! <laughs> Can't wait till my Facebook group hears about this. <laughs> so I, I thought of doing this game for the show simply because I've started playing it more. I mean, you think with how simple this game is, that I'd be over it after seven years, but I it's have timeless, this though. I have this drive too to beat my high score and possibly even one day win the game. That is what keeps me going. And like you said, I mean, this this is one of those games that's super simple to play. It's a little bit more difficult to master, and it's almost impossible to win. But they're actually it. There, this is a game that you can win. I wait I, a minute. I don't know if you know about this. No. Well, first of all, at some point, I'm going to need to know your high score. And also, I did not know there was an end. I thought it just went as high as numbers went. There is actually an end. Like so, when the iPhone runs out of memory, whatever that number is, that's... When you reach the end of the internet and you just yeah. find like the cat gif at the end of the internet <laughs> that says, you've seen it all. So there are a total of 12 kinds of number tiles in the game with values from 3 to 6,144. And by the way, as just an aside before I get into this, uh, a super fun part of this game is that each number tile has its own personality and new kinds of number tiles are introduced with like a screen full of confetti when first unlocked. And I also want to mention that you should definitely play this game with the music and sound on at least uh, the first few times, simply because all the little design elements are just so well executed and they're definitely worth checking out. And the sounds of each little character are really funny and they make little noises when like two sixes get squeezed into a 12. And 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I usually play with no sound because at this point, my enjoyment is all strategic. Um, but it's 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 cute. It's part of the game. I, I highly recommend checking that out. Anyway, so there's 12 kinds of number tiles. I have unlocked or achieved 11 of them. So my highest number tile is 3,072. Whoa. The 12th. The twelfth, of course, is thirty seventy two plus thirty seventy two, which is sixty one forty four. It turns out there is also a thirteenth character that is unlocked if you manage to combine two six thousand one hundred and forty four tiles. This character is marked by a triangle rather than the number twelve thousand two hundred eighty eight. And when this character is revealed, the game ends. And points are totaled as usual. And this feat was achieved and documented by Twitter user ThreesPorn in 2017. (laughs) Not Tim Apple. (laughs) And it was publicly acknowledged by developer Asher Vollmer. Yeah, I was going to say, when that happened, it had to have been like an event for those guys. Well, think about it. This game came out in 2014. Nobody won and didn't know you could win until 2017. They three achieved three years Nirvana. later. It was actually 3.33 years. Wow. They wrote, that was in Conspiracy? the about this. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? The three has three sides as a triangle, and the symbol of the Illuminati is also a pyramid? Duh. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we get it, Brett. We get it. So I'm hoping that... I will one day achieve Three's Nirvana. And honestly, this might be the greatest gamer achievement of anybody's life. I so, I do recall saying that I beat Ghost Recon on Ghost Mode. So That's true. Let's just... That's, that's pretty amazing. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Let's cool our jets just a little bit. <laughs> cool, cool our Soviet rockets. So... Uh, you want me to talk personal strategy a little bit real quick? I'm kind of Yeah, it's been a while since I played and I think uh-huh. that I always like kind of capped out around like I think it was like the what is it? 96 blocks or something. Yeah. I definitely okay. got to That's... a point where I just couldn't get any further cuz I'm a yeah. dumb idiot. <laughs> well, as far as strategy goes, there's two schools of thought. There's keeping your highest tile in one of the corners. Um, I personally am in the habit of keeping the upper left corner as the place where I keep my highest tile, and then I try to fold things mostly up and left. The other strategy is to keep your highest number tile in one of the middle four squares, and that strategy is for disgusting psychopaths, child murderers, and puppy kickers. This is from (laughs) Tim Apple's Twitch channel, like his official word. Yeah. Um, the other big tip <laughs> that I have, it's it's the swipe and hold. I don't know what the official name for this move is, um, but basically you can swipe in the direction you think you want to go, but instead of releasing, you, you have as much time as you want as long as you're oh, yeah. holding it down to see how the end of the play will look when everything is slid or squeezed together before you release your finger and make that move permanent. So... Uh, it's like when you play chess, but you keep your fingers on your chess piece so you can be all annoying and be like, I'm not going to put it there. Like a psychopath. <laughs> or That's a puppy definitely kicker. one of those like elegant design choices. You know, they did that on purpose. And it's just like, 
it's a way for you to like test your own strategy as you're playing. And since you're just playing against yourself, you'd be surprised though. I mean, this is the kind of game where you can like start playing like super rapidly. And this is where the men and the boys get separated with strategy is when you start getting into those higher tiles, strategy really comes into play and you have to really consider every single move and so you'd be surprised a lot of people just get addicted to just like sliding things quickly. You have to look at it before you make the, the commitment. So if you haven't played threes out there, you're welcome for those uh, hot tips. It's, the, you know what? I think this may end up being our most consumed piece of content that gets <laughs> recommended because it's going to be so, well, it's, it's, I think that the way you're describing it is very enticing, and it's so easy to be like, oh, I'll just go download three. That's two, it's two bucks. Two yeah. bucks, yeah. Well, it's a dollar ninety-nine. Come on, with it tax. Just seems cheaper. I like but, to, I like to include the tax and and have some uh, price honesty because you work for the government and the <laughs> the Soviet government. But I think that this, of all the things we've recommended, this may end up being the most consumed thing because it's going to be I, so easy. Well, Asher Vollmer, you're welcome for the 35 bumps, buddy. That's <laughs> $70. Yeah, totally. Um, so let me get into some of the super interesting history. You're going to like this. So the basic game was prototyped in a single night, but the team consisting of game designer Asher Vollmer, illustrator Greg Woolwind, and... Um, I think this was composer. I have computer in my notes, but I think I meant composer Jimmy Henson. Now these three make up. <laughs> I doubt they named that computer. Jimmy's Jimmy's not the computer. I think he's the composer for the music. <laughs> so these three uh, make up the independent development team Servo S I R V O, and they spent over half a year iterating through variations on the idea with different visual themes. So some of these iterations uh, included new numberless visual themes and game mechanics like monsters who ate tiles or walls that blocked certain movements. Now, I, I find it really interesting that early on, they really had no objective towards minimalism, which is really the draw of the game for me. So they had this idea... That way the code uh, can fit in your Airstream. Right. <laughs> They know that space is a, is truly a luxury here. <laughs> Just barely squeezing the burr grinder for the Yeah, no pot. room for animated <laughs> graphics. So they you know, they started with this idea of having pairs burr of tiles. Grinder. Sorry. <laughs> we love our burr grinder, man. It makes a good cup of coffee. Made the cut. Yeah. So they, they, the original idea, the, these pairs of tiles, these multiples of threes, that was the that was the heart. But they felt that this game needed to appear more complex so that they could interest players. So some of the things they tried, uh, sushi-themed tiles that paired fish and rice. Boo. A, a chess theme that paired chess pieces. Also themes, boo. Themes about animals, broccoli and cheese soup. No. Military, military insignia, Why? hydrogen atoms, and textile patterns. Actually, you know what I've always said is that... <laughs> What's that? Like, when I was designing a lot, and I designed logos, like, I would design some logos that, I, I mean, I thought they were pretty elegant, and they looked very simple, but simplicity takes a long time to get to. Because For sure. Because when you're designing something, 
especially like something that's graphical, you're my first instinct was always to like maybe overdo it a little bit because it's like, oh, I want them to get their money's worth. And so like, I'd put like everything I had into it, but then I would just like pare it back, pare it back, like kill your babies or whatever they say. And then <laughs> eventually, <What? laughs> and that's some phrase, but then eventually like I would, I would always end up with something that was like kind of the simplest version of the idea that I had. And I'm like, man, this was so much better than, the idea I initially had, and I never would have thought about this to start with. It, I had to over-design it first and then start cutting things to get to where it was just like, oh, this is like four lines, and it looks like you could draw it within like, you know, eight minutes. Like if you knew that what it's supposed to look like, you could totally draw it, just a couple of strokes. But it took so long, hours and hours and hours to get there. I hope I can get my life to that point one day. Just, just gotta get rid of that burr grinder. <laughs> It's literally just me and the coffee pot, but no, <laughs> nothing to grind my beans. Um, so you're gonna like this next part. It's uh, because it they these this line about right after all these sushi themed broccoli cheese soup hydrogen atoms. It says their test audiences were reportedly confused by the two dozen or so themes that were tested. I'd imagine. I feel like you would uh, concur with that assessment. Yeah, just so, it, it just kind of looks like slightly animated Sudoku now. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So the original designer, Volmer, he commented that these ideas made the game feel unwieldy, unnatural, and he always preferred the game when shitty. the changes were <laughs> reverted. Um, <laughs> and then they received this wake-up call from a fellow game designer, Zach Gage, who encouraged them to return from their foray into complexity. So the final game returned to its original theme of just numbers. And speaking in retrospect, Woolwind said the game always wanted to be simple. I love that because he, he's really personifying this game here. Another one of my favorite parts to the story, uh, Woolwind said in retrospect that the, uh, oh, I already said that. <laughs> my notes well, clearly That's what retrospect been. is for, <laughs> yeah. Brett. <laughs> exactly. So um, he also said, Although players think math upon seeing the game's numbers, the game is more about spatial relationships and it just happens to have a number theme, which I think totally is really true. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's no adding really in this game. The, no. the computer adds for you. Yes. The way does. they're supposed to what they're designed for. Oh, you mean Jimmy the computer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do your job, Jimmy. Think I can add ninety six plus ninety six? You're crazy. So if you do love threes already and you want to hurt your brain a little bit, check out the Wikipedia link in the show notes to see images of some of their threes prototypes. It it will hurt your eyeballs to look <laughs> at this garbage. Very interesting. <laughs> I can't wait for you to see it. It's it's hilarious. Uh, it might it might be worse than that burnt Soviet body. And I'm sorry, I I can't even say it. That's just too insensitive. Yes, I I mocked it, so <laughs> I think it's fine. So, unfortunately, the success of this game does not mean happily ever after. Outside developers released games that closely resembled 3s within weeks of its release, including a browser-based version, an unofficial sort of knockoff Android app called Fives, and another iPhone game, 1024, which advertised itself as, no need to pay for 3s. There's also... <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> There's also a March 2014 clone of 2020-1024. This is a clone of a clone. It was the browser game 2048. That became popular and then spawned dozens of parodies of that. So, I, I mean, I cannot imagine how it must have felt to put you know, 14 months of development into this brilliant piece of content only to have this idea ripped off over and over and over again. And no one really acknowledges, you know, the, the OG or the, uh, the, the original version that's done right. We better make sure that we tag these guys on social media because they will appreciate our take on it. But I think, I don't know. I think that quality always rises to the top. I agree. And there's other shitty fives or whatever you said. There's no way people are like, no reason to pay for threes. Well, this game sucks. I wonder what three is. There's no way that didn't happen, you know? Yeah. Well, I I do think that it it was difficult for them. Um, the team actually criticized 2048's game design and compared the game as the commander keen to their Super Mario Brothers in a 45,000-word post. But, you uh, know, uh-huh. hold on. Hold yeah. on. There's a very interesting history to Commander Keen. I'm serious about this. <laughs> so Commander Keen, trigger uh, alert. <laughs> I hope you don't mind if I diatribe a little bit. No, I love this. So Commander Keen was created by the guys that made Dune, uh, Doom, John Carmack and uh, oh, really? John Romero. So they were trying to figure out how to mimic the scroll of Super Mario. So John Carmack, he programmed... He basically reprogrammed the entire game of Super Mario because they couldn't do this on PCs. They could only do it on the consoles. So he figured out how to do it on the PC, and he basically created an entire game engine that mimicked the scroll of Super Mario. And then they're like, well, now that we mimic the scroll, we can make our own game. And Commander Keen had been something that they had like they had made it up a long time ago when they were kids, and they're like, oh, we can make a whole game out of Commander Keen. And what's so awesome about it, like, yes, that game objectively does suck. But what's cool is that they that put John Romero or uh, sorry uh, John Carmack onto the path of creating game engines, and then he went from that. He kept iterating until he created the game engine for Wolfenstein, which is like the first three D first person shooter engine. Yeah, right. and that and then from there Dune, uh, Doom, and then he created I think it was the Unreal Engine. I think that's what he went into, and now it's like basically. Commander Keen was the beginning of the entire 3D revolution and all the video games that I love so much today. So I cannot stand by and have the legacy of Commander Keen bashed. I can't have I can't have it compared to Fives. <laughs> That's a crime. Well, you're gonna you're gonna have to uh, dive into this 45,000 word post <laughs> from the Servo team because clearly they were offended. Um, Gama Sutra's uh, Lei Alexander actually described the situation as a unique tragedy, but I, I see your point, and you know I know they, they just say. didn't know the history is what I'm saying. There's okay. no way they would have made that comparison if they'd known the history. Okay, well, behind every successful man's game engine, there's a shitty version of Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what they well, say. Volmer, uh, the designer, he tried to remove these clones from online stores, but ultimately he just accepted the fact that the game would be copied, and he just resolved that his future games would not share that same fate. But, in my opinion, 
Threes will go down in history as being a mobile masterpiece of the highest order. A few more accolades before I wrap this thing up. Eurogamer listed threes as one of the top 10 games of the generation. And Tom's Guide listed threes as one of the top 30 games of the 2010s. And of course, Josh, the only praise that matters, threes has now made history as the first mobile game to appear on the content clearinghouse. A milestone that will surely bring Asher Vollmer and the whole Servo Puzzle Game team the same thrill and satisfaction that Twitter user Threes Porn felt when he pushed two 6,144 tiles on top of each other to make that sweet, sweet math that resulted in the elusive 12,288 triangle tile. Preach it, so, brother. <laughs> as for my... <laughs> I'm having fun tonight. As for my highest score, 189,420. Whoa. And we can share an image of this on Instagram. I don't usually like to brag, but in this Here case, we are. It, uh, it so it consists of a 3072 in the top left corner, plus a 384, two 192s, a 96, two 48s, a 24, 12, and 6. Two you guys follow and, all that? And finally, a couple of 1s and 2s gumming up the works as they always do. Gross. But for context, that is my highest score in over seven years of playing this game. My next highest score is 88,257. I actually have lots of uh, high scores in the 80,000, high 80,000 range. But I I talked earlier about uh, those gameplay metrics that you might be interested in. So there is an option to view statistics within the game, like what your high card distribution is or like a tile card or what your scores are over time and so forth. So I'm not totally sure on the accuracy of this i i doubt i ever reset this data it, it is possible that this information gets cleared out when you re-download the app on a new phone or something like that but just you also have a habit of adjusting system preferences you know i love getting in there <laughs> <laughs> so just in case that never happened according to my stats i have played a total of 6430 games Whoa. now if each game lasts about 10 minutes, which Servo themselves, the game company, they say that the average game length was 20 minutes, even though they designed the game's sessions to not last longer than 10 minutes. And I don't think my games would always last up to 10 minutes. But if we use the average of 10 minutes, that means I've played threes for 64,300 minutes, which is 1,071 hours which is 44.625 days of playing threes. Now, how can you <laughs> somehow squeeze some threes out of there? Can you round it up to three <laughs> weeks or something? I was not going for a, for a weird <laughs> numerology conspiracy, but I'm sure someone out there will find the pattern. That is, <laughs> from one gamer to another, Brett, that is absolutely insane. Well, I mean, this is just, an, this is just a rough estimate, but... It's One easy thing, to do that, though, because yeah. it's on your phone. You're just like, oh, only stupid flight. Play some threes. Exactly. I mean, one thing is for sure. For all mankind I, hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> I'll just play threes. One thing is for sure. I may not currently own or use an official video game console, except for the one in my pocket. But if this is true, with over 44 days of cumulative gaming on one single game using this little video game console in my pocket, I 
am pretty sure I deserve to be called a gamer. Dude, you are a gamer. <laughs> you and I used to sit around and play games for hours and hours and hours, and I'm not ashamed of that. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I'm glad. I, no, to- absolutely. I want to be. I w- I want to be a gamer. That's that was my whole point to all of this. That's great. I'm glad to see you're still <laughs> carrying the torch, man. And I've never thought that you weren't a gamer, even though you got all insane and sold all your game consoles like a total would, non-gamer. Would you call a skydiver that hasn't jumped in seven years a skydiver? Talking about you? Well, because you hadn't jumped in a long about time, anybody. and then you started again. Yeah, that's true. But I, 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 I didn't feel like I was a skydiver for that period of time. So I, I just, I've struggled with not being a gamer, and now I feel like I have manipulated the mobile platform in my benefit. There's a difference, though. Skydiving is a, some might call it a death sport that requires currency. So <laughs> it's, I think that, I think that, you know, in your heart, yeah, you're a skydiver, but you need to be jumping to really be in the game. But gaming when, is not the same when anybody, way. When anybody says in your heart, that means it's not real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in your, but gaming in your is heart not of the hearts. Same. It's no. You're beautiful in your heart of hearts. Yeah, Brad, don't ever look in a mirror. <laughs> but the uh, gaming is not the same. I mean, you can put it down, you can pick it back up. And you know, this made me think of some of like the craziest iPhone games, some of the games that I've loved. And also, I thought of this one, I'd say this is probably the craziest game I've ever seen. But it was a, uh, it's called. I think it was called Curiosity: The Cube by Peter Molyneux. So it was this really weird game. So Peter Molyneux is this game designer. He he created Fable, which is like a Xbox game. But he uh, he created this game that all it was was these little uh, voxel cubes, which are basically three D pixels, and you would just tap them and they would disappear. Tap them, disappear, and there were like billions of them and everyone was playing a cumulative game. And he said that when you get to the middle, the person who breaks the last cube will get the most amazing prize ever. And so like thousands, maybe millions of people were playing this game. And then eventually like one guy won it. And what the, what the prize was, he, he was creating some other game and it was basically like the winner's likeness would be in the game. And then the game, I, I don't even remember what it was because the game was like kind of a total flop. So needless to say, it was not the greatest prize that mankind had ever heard of. But that was like a really interesting iPhone game that existed at one point. And that then it was very strange. I much rather play threes. Yeah, exactly. Huh. I think I, I downloaded it and after like about six minutes, I was like, man, this sucks. This is the <laughs> worst. <laughs> There's no then, Hero Academy. Yeah, and then another one that I really liked was Jetpack Joyride. Oh, that's and a good one. So oh, I played a lot of Jetpack Joyride. I did too. And we used to exchange Jetpack Joyride screenshots. And I think the end of my Jetpack Joyride days were, I, I think I got like five kilometers, whatever it is. And when you would crash, it would put like a little, in all of your friends, it would put like a little mile marker thing in their game so they would know when they surpassed you. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then one of my friends sent me a screenshot. Like, So I was like, this took me months and months and months to get this. this is the best run I've ever had. He sent me a screenshot. It was his little guy in the middle of a crash. And in the crash, he tumbled right past my mile marker. So he like, <laughs> oh, no. he tumbled past me. I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done with Jetpack Joyride. His, his torched corpse uh, managed <laughs> his to just slide past. Camera robbed me. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god! I feel like I know that was in the seventies or whatever, but or the sixties. But I feel like it's still too soon after seeing that picture. I'd... Nah, Brett. Nah, this is what All the right. Soviet space program was made for. I will. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness later. Well, I'm re-downloading Jetpack Joyride, and my phone also is reminding me that I played Fruit Ninja back in the day. So, I guess it's time to boot up these uh, mobile games, huh? Indeed. Well, Brett, I was. I was curious and a little worried when you started off, and I was wondering how you were going to fill the allotted time talking about what, on initial inspection, appears to be one of the simplest iPhone games ever created, but we actually went far over what we normally would on a content piece, and that's impressive. That is pure contentology at work right there. It was very interesting, and I didn't think I would have said this at the beginning of the show, but hearing you talk about threes, I think might have been some of the most fun I've had on this show ever to date. So that, again, another big old feather in your cap. Three thumbs up. Exactly. That's the mark of excellence <laughs> on this show. So thanks for making my night, Brett. That was awesome. And thank everyone out there for listening to the Content Clearinghouse. We love you guys. and We totally appreciate all the listens we get from you. Please share the show with your friends. That helps us a lot. You can check us out on social media at the Content Clearinghouse on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. That one always throws me off. And uh, we have a Discord now. Check that out in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Come back next week. We'll have some more killer content right in your ear holes. I want to hear your soap joke. Okay, well, <laughs> you, you know how I said we're dirty nomadic vagrants? Yeah. I want to hear your soap. So joke. I had a okay. Kind of well, goes without saying. I had you soap know how I said with one of the luxuries we didn't have room for. Yeah. And I had a joke so I had that I was trying to spin about how we even the single video game console I was going to take uh, had to remove it to make room for the soap. But I I was going to say that seven years later I'm still on that original bar of soap because <laughs> when you sh- you only shower once a month your soap goes a long way plus i don't rub it on my body i just glance at it while i'm taking a shower <laughs> the joke is that i'm dirty and smelly it, it, i got gotcha. you I, I don't know how i screwed it up but you're cleaning turns yourself out it's still true. through osmosis <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh shoot